when we got really specific to actually how this is a problem, how many um, cod swabs end up in the ocean or end up on um, on dump places, and it's this was this was really where we got people engaged. Hey, my name is Felix Tiet. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to validate your product idea by collecting emails, how to market towards a sustainability-focused customer, and how to determine if your passion is worth pursuing as a business. Today, I'm joined by Isabel Agard from Last Swab. Last Swab is a reusable, sustainable, and sanitary alternative to cotton swabs and buds, replacing at least 1,000 cotton swabs. And over the last seven months, has generated over 1.3 million US dollars and was started in 2018 and based out of Denmark. Welcome, Isabel. Hi, thank you for having me on. Yes, yeah, so where did the idea behind this sustainability focused business come from? Well, uh, we're three designers that f- a couple of, yeah, well, a year ago, um, we're sitting and we've done a lot of different designs throughout the years. And we just really wanted to start focusing on different sustainable objects and things that we would use in our daily life. So it, it kind of emerged in in this focus. And, um, and while we were researching, we found out that there was just this huge focus on single-use items um, that was coming up, but it hadn't really been put into light before now. And uh, and I think we were just uh, very fascinated by the numbers and how we could design an object that could um, replace a single-use item would just make a huge difference for, um, for the mm-hmm. environment. Makes sense. So you mentioned that you were three designers, and this is the first that you guys have now focused on working on your own product. Did you have experience launching products in the past, or launching your own businesses, or were you a designer for for someone else? Yes, um, we have we have all three done a lot of different designs throughout the years, um, but we've done mainly furniture design and and things for the kitchen and more like um, more normal product. Um, and I also worked in actually a, a medical uh, industry where we were doing a lot of bags for chemo patients. And so it's a, it's a very different what we've done, but we've all been working with products throughout the years. Got it. Makes sense. So now talk to us about this, this research process. Like you guys all three sat down and said, okay, we want to come up with a, a product and launch a business behind it. Or like, what was the reason that you were, you were embarking on doing this research? Well, um, we were all working on different projects. Um, the two other designers is my brother and uh, and his um, partner in crime. And uh, I think when we were just having lunch together in our in our office, we we just kept talking about what we really wanted to design and what was really our passion in life. Um, and and this was I I think kind of how this whole thought emerged. We um, we then really wanted to dive in and figure out what can really make a difference because we didn't want to make something that was either greenwashed or something that didn't really um, live up to the expectations of what we wanted to solve. So we were really looking at what kind of problems do we have um, with our environment and and the impact that we put on it. Um, so, so this is how it emerged and kind of over the counter <laughs> kind of talk. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people out there can relate where they have a passion, something they truly care about, but that might not be their main pursuit right now. But now they're thinking about pursuing it and turning that passion into something like a business, something they can can earn a living from and focus 100% of their time on. So you mentioned that you did research after recognizing that you you all wanted to focus on sustainability and that was your passion. Now, what is that next step? Like, What kind of research are you doing? What kind of answers are you looking for? Well, we're looking at what what really has a huge impact, like a negative huge impact on the environment. And, and this is where single use items in general came up. Um, so we could just see that we could actually launch um, a, a collection of different things that would replace these single use items. So this was like the, the main thought, like the big passion, the big, the big purpose for us. Um, and when we then went through the list, uh, you could see straws, but this is also something that a lot of people have tackled. You see cutlery um, and a lot of other different um, toilet paper, <laughs> very interesting items. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the Q-tip just came, it was actually on, on the top 10 list. And we were just very surprised because it's such a little item and how, so this was, everything actually was kind of, um, everything was created in uh, an ocean of we want to do single use. We want to get rid of single use items in general with designing something alternative that can be reused. And the Q-tip uh, was our first like, yeah, our, our first idea, our first we could see we could solve this issue. Right. So you recognize that there is a, a, a problem, I guess, in the world with the single use items. How did you know, though, that there was a, a market, that there were other people out there that would be, be willing to buy a product like like Last Swap's products in order to to uh, combat the single use item uh, issue? Well, we, we started testing um, and this we did with uh, email collection. So we did like uh, we designed our product more or less finished and we we knew not exactly what materials but we were really long in the in the design process but we had no idea that this was going to blow up or that this was going to be big so we tested it out um by putting some money in some email marketing um where we sent out hey you know this is coming on kickstarter if you sign up now then uh, we'll give you even more discount and um and then actually it was like two weeks into this campaign where we just saw like how high the conversion rate was. And we'd never done a product where this was so high. Was this like your first consumer-focused uh, product? Like, I guess you mentioned that you also focused on, on furniture, but this was like the first almost like, uh, I guess, more widespread consumer-focused product? Mm, I would more say it's our first sustainable product. <laughs> Mm, okay. um, but we we've done things for the kitchen. It was it is product based, I would say. So, but but it's the first that have like kind of where we put our passion into it and said like we really want to make a difference or this really means something and not here's a salad bowl and um, like everybody else also has a salad bowl. We also have one, you know. So it, it just had a another. It had a, a deeper level of purpose. 
God. Okay, so email collection was the first thing you did to validate whether there was any interest in this. What did you say? Was it just like one landing page? Like, talk, talk about this. I think this is a stage that a lot of people either skip or maybe are aware of, but don't know exactly how to execute on this to, to validate that market, that product market fit before diving any any deeper. So talk, talk to us about what does that, that email collection process look like? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think it, it's so crucial and we're going to do it with all our products. We are doing it with all our products because it's it's such a, an amazing way, a very cheap way to validate um, if this is at all an interest for people. But um, yes, it, so it's a landing page that we A-B tested every single day. So every day I would put a new image up or a new text and then we would figure out to the day when the day ended, which um product picture which text had done best and I only changed one thing to really be able to track it um, and this is how we slowly also could move our conversion rate up and we figured out how to actually explain this product and we figured out how to um, how the imagery should be because we could see what people understood and what didn't work and it wasn't about what we thought was nice um, actually rarely it was <laughs> the ones that mm, we thought were mm-hmm. nice pictures, for example, um, that won that day. So we were constantly changing this. And then we had um, a marketing agency that helped us do Facebook campaigns um, mainly and a little bit of Instagram. Um, and this is how we kind of reached out. And then we saw what, and they also A-B a- tested, so they figured out. So it was kind of like, how can we get people interested in a little frame of image? And if they click, how do we get, how, how do we get them to sign up to this newsletter? Um, so it was actually just growing this newsletter and, and trying to, in the meantime, try to figure out how we could communicate the product best. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so when someone else wants to do this and they are A-B testing the, the landing page, there are obviously so many different things you can change. When you look back on the A-B testing you've done, what kind of levers, what, what kind of changes did you find made the biggest difference in conversion, cha- conversion rate increases? Mm. Oh, I think that oh, we changed everything, but uh, color, um, how you signal everything. And also being very concrete with your your words. So when we did text where they were more, uh, you know, we're just helping the world or, you know, cleaning the oceans. But when we got really specific to actually how this is a problem, how many um, cod swaps end up in the ocean or end up on um, on dump places. And it's this was this was really where we got people engaged. So being very concrete with this is actually a problem and going very quickly to this is the solution. Um, yeah, so I think this, I, we ended up doing a banner where we did actually used the imagery. So it was our product, which was the solution. And then you saw the problem and then you saw trash and ocean. So it was really like figuring out how to explain this very simple thing in words and in imagery. I think this is important because I think anyone out there that uh, that is focused on kind of big problems, like big changes that they are trying to make an impact on, it's easy to get kind of caught up in your head and think about the grand vision that you have in your head and you're trying to explain that to just like a, a regular person, right, that just wants to see how can they 
make an impact. It, you, it, will, it will kind of fall on deaf ears if you talk about too big of a vision because they cannot see themselves having that kind of impact. But when you make it concrete and say, if you buy this product, this is how you personally will contribute to fixing the problem. I think that's what you're getting at. Making it concrete, bring it down to the level of your 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 consumer, your user, rather than talking about your necessarily like huge and and goals that are a little bit harder for them to wrap their heads around. Now, you mentioned that the product was already pretty well designed, so you had a lot of photos of a pretty much finished product. How important is this, especially for someone out there that that obviously doesn't have a team of you know three founders that are designers and they, they don't have that experience involved? Like, did you find that this was a big, uh, I guess, requirement to having a high converting landing page? Mm, actually, we didn't. We didn't actually have real photos until I think after the Kickstarter. So everything was uh, renders. Everything was, uh, yeah, um, renders. So that that means that we've drawn the the products in a program on our computer, and then we've uh, got it so well made so that it actually looks real. So we put some shadows in there, and we made it a little bit open, a little bit crooked, so it didn't look so um, not real. But actually, none of the product pictures in the beginning were real. Got it. So someone out there that doesn't have that experience can probably hire a designer to help them put pieces together? Or what are your thoughts on the best approach if someone out there wants to take the same approach of putting up a landing page to validate that product market fit, but doesn't have the expertise of designing the product right off the bat? I would say, yes, of course, you can find help. Um, we use freelancers and Upwork a lot um, to 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 try to tackle a lot of the, well, problems or the um, assignments that um, we're not good at or that takes us too long. So I think designing, of course, is something that we really love and something that we want to be a part of that process. But um, I'm yes, you can find a lot of different amazing people out there that will do a lot of things for not that much money. Got it. So you mentioned that you had hired an agency to to run a Facebook campaign and some Instagram ads as well. That was to drive traffic to the to the landing page for for to collect the emails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And was that the only I guess method that was a, that that you used to drive traffic, or did you do anything organically that was that was more I guess um I guess a free approach, or you focused mostly on paid uh, paid traffic? No, we did a lot of different things actually. We um we started up because uh, we had done a very sustainable product, um, so we started up uh, getting into all the groups on Facebook that um, were talking about sustainability or zero waste, um, and we talked in those groups also while we were actually designing it to figure out how and how people use and how how they reuse things and how we can kind of meet um the customers but we also launched our product in there and told them how we what we were doing and published it a lot of the pages would close it down because it was very it was too salesy or um and this is a forum where we talk but um but some of them heard and and especially if somebody asked oh i really want to do you know look to how i can improve things in my bathroom then you could comment on that post oh we're actually i saw this campaign <laughs> last swap and then you could link it and uh, and this was really effective actually because you really de- dove into a very concrete um a target group that was very 
well targeted to exactly the customer that we were looking for. Right. They had a real problem that they wanted to solve that was in front of them. Exactly. Yes. And they were already into trying to, a lot of people are not um, very aware of of how you can become sustainable or really want to dive into this. But these were really hardcore people that had changed their lives to better um, their impact on the environment. So it was it was an amazing group to actually also work with. But so you could kind of, you know, get your word out there. And then what we also did was we contacted, I think, a thousand, uh, 2,000 Instagram accounts um, that were also sustainable, but uh, but they were like micro-influencers. So they had maybe a thousand followers, 2,000. And uh, asked them like, hey, if you get a product, would you then want to share it? And what do you think about it? And like, check it out, please give us feedback. So it didn't become too, too salesy. And this also generated a lot of interest and a lot of uh, shares before we had even launched our Kickstarter. Got it. Okay, so just to kind of uh, lay this out timeline-wise, so the email collecting that you were doing, you were both driving it, paid traffic, but then you were also going into Facebook groups to drive people to check out that that landing page, or were you in or were you in Facebook groups only after the Kickstarter launched? Before. Before, so during email collection phase, you can still do the same approach that you guys took by going into Facebook groups and just commenting and contributing and then finding ways to to drive where it makes sense to drive people to check out that landing page. Exactly. Yes, cuz as, as soon as you have a landing page, you have you have enough information for anybody to get an overview of what is this and then if they're interested, put in your email. If not, you know, so it's it's very easy and there's there's an action. So um this and this was crucial for us. Right. So how do you, how do you position a product that doesn't exist yet on a landing page? Like how do you talk about it in a way that validates that there's 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 demand for it but the product doesn't exist yet? How do you like talk to us about how you talked about the product and then asked for an email address? Well, we it changed, of course. This was also what changed throughout the the weeks on this page and constantly. Maybe like the final version of it. Like what did that look like? Well, the final version was a like a a banner which had the product, very product picture, and then it had a squid um, that was holding a Q-tip underwater. So it was kind of looking at, well, this is the solution and this is the problem. And then we went into depth to say that, well, you can have it in different colors. It's reusable. You just wash it with soap. Um, and the third thing, what was that? Um, it was the the materials and what materials they were made of. So it was it was kind of explaining the three most important things that you need to know when you look at this product. So the the, the problem that it, that you were solving the 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 um, different uh, colors or different the actual product itself like what was the product that it would be that would exist and then mm-hmm. uh, lastly what it was made out of. Uh, yeah, I think the colors and what it was made out of actually ended up being in the same bracket um mm-hmm. so it was kind of yeah single use this is a huge problem this is a solution that is really easy to clean and this easy to clean was actually something that we didn't have there in the beginning it was one of the things that 
uh, we found that people were like, ew, what is this? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you wash it. Oh, oh, okay. That's funny because I've, I've spoken to other sustainability focused uh, single use, I guess, uh, products that combat single use. And that's like the most quickest objection that they have to uh, address next. Like after product releases, the first question, the most common question anyone asks is, how do I clean this? It's like so common that it's funny that, that you bring it up too. Now, what's that call to action then? So once you present all, you present the picture, the problem, the materials, uh, explain the product, how it's, how, it uses, how you can use it to clean it. Like, are you saying like, hey, put your email address for, to be notified? Like how do you, what are you asking for on that page? So we're asking for an email to get notified when we launch the Kickstarter campaign. And then with this pre-bird subscription, um, you will you will get the email first. That's So you'll get access to our pre-bird, um, I think you call it pre-bird, but uh, pre-bird um, offers. So that mm-hmm. was, that meant like, like... Early access to the products. Exactly. And you have like maybe only a thousand products that are you know, with this huge discount. And then when that's sold out, then you have one that's also a really good discount, but not that good. So, so you have, uh, this is just how Kickstarter kind of uh, is, is created, but, or how they've laid it out. It's very, it's, it's, yeah, it's quite interesting also the mm-hmm. whole uh, crowdfunding uh, industry and how they, uh, how they're creating all this stuff. But, right. but yes. Okay, so some kind of urgency that if you aren't, if you don't take action now and add your email address in, then you might miss out on this this discount, this this uh, you know basically early access at a, at a discounted rate if you don't take action today. Now, at what point did you did you all realize that okay, this is now worth pursuing? Like, how many were you looking at email addresses, conversion rates? Like, what were you looking at to determine that this is something that is validated and let's continue pursuing it? We were looking at the conversion rate, um, and then we we're of course looking at the well, which is also how many emails we we got in. And I think for I think we ran for a month, and after a month we had uh, forty thousand subscribers, and that's where we wow. were like, "Wow, this is that's really a lot. this. They could this could get huge." <laughs> Do you remember, for, for someone out there that wants to take the same approach of getting emails, and then, of course, you can take that free approach that you talked about by going to Facebook groups, but if they want to go to 40,000 subscribers, you probably need to put some paid traffic in that too in order to do that in a month. So to get the 40,000 subscribers, do you remember how much it costs in terms of driving that paid traffic to, to the landing page? Yes. Um, we ended up um, paying a bit under but uh, around 20,000 US dollars. So after you collected those 40,000 subscribers, what was the timeline? How long did you wait between the okay, the, valid, the the one month where you validated that this was worth pursuing and actually launching the Kickstarter campaign? How much time elapsed? Well, we tried to while we were doing the email uh, signups, uh, we were also working on the Kickstarter campaign page. So we were doing everything simultaneously. Uh, I think only like two months from we started the the email um, camp or the, the the whole email collection, and then until we launched uh, the Kickstarter, about two months. But everything is very overlapping because we're working on so many things on the same time. Got it. So once that that campaign went live, you were just blasting or sending emails out to your email list of forty thousand subscribers to tell them to to go check out the Kickstarter page. Exactly. Yeah. Hey. 
Real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Got it. Now, when you design a Kickstarter page, I'm sure you've had a lot of learnings from the landing page on how to talk about it, what was important to include in there. Was there anything beyond what you included on the landing page that you had to that you made sure to include on the Kickstarter page that helped you, you know, raise? And we'll talk about the figures here. This was again raised in a different currency, but in terms of U.S. dollars, over seven hundred thousand dollars was was raised um, from. Let's see, uh, how many from nineteen thousand over nineteen thousand backers. So talk about that. Like that, that's a huge uh, accomplishment. What uh, we're talking about first that the page itself. Like what did you include on that Kickstarter page that you felt like really resonated with the 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 the, the backers? Well, it was it was really nice when we actually did, uh, and we did this right up to the Kickstarter, but doing uh, actual product pictures. Uh, this converted really well, and um, then just explaining the the story from we we got a lot of insight from that we couldn't have found as that we didn't know about at all from um, from our one pager that we tried to do the email collection with. So so we took a lot of the things from there. So this overview that we talked about with the product, like the solution, the problem, and then going directly to what, how can you use this in your daily life? Why is single use a problem? How is this a solution? And then we went into, you know, how it works. And then in depth, like these are all the colors that we're doing. This is how it's reusable. This is why it's high quality. So we went much more into depth, but I think like the the main focus in the beginning was what is the problem? How is this a solution? And did you say that you also learned things from the backers that you didn't learn from the the email collection phase about about the product, about the messaging? Like what were some of the the learnings there after the Kickstarter page went live? Well, on Kickstarter, you can't really. A B test anything. So the most of like the the findings that we've gotten was of course to see other really successful Kickstarter campaigns and how they kind of made the page and how how they rearranged everything. I think it it worked really well. For example, uh, with gifts, you know, images that are moving, so mm-hmm. you could see how it was like water and how it, it opened and closed. Um, and this is really successful on other campaigns. So this was something that we put on the Kickstarter that we didn't have on our email collection page. Got it. Now, because you had the email list of 40,000 subscribers, like how quickly did you break through your goal? 22 minutes. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. And after no. that, like, what, I guess, what was that, that, that curve like where was it most, most of the contributions came like on that first day or was it spread out through the entire campaign length? There was definitely a really, really huge uh, spike in the beginning, um, and then it was pre- it, it went down, but it was pretty steady, and then it spiked a little bit in the end. And I think this is very common. Uh, we saw in different statistics on different campaigns that this is because uh, you're kind of you want to be the first, and then you don't want to miss out. <laughs> so it's a uh, you're right around those corners. Got it. And was email like the biggest? like factor or were you getting public PR somewhere else? Like what was the biggest factor to continually drive attention to the Kickstarter page? Well, I think that it was really good. The spike of course was mostly and mainly the, the email collection, but we also uh, got uh, a lot of PR 
Um, and we got a lot of PR in different countries. So we could kind of see the US uh, in Denmark, they picked it up quite quick because we're here. So we kind of spiked quite quick in Denmark and then the US came and then, you know, uh, France came and, and in the end we had a lot from, from Austria. So it's, it was, it was kind of, um, it was kind of spread out from where we really got also mentioned in the media. Mm, and did you pursue the, the, um, the, the PR or were they finding out about you through the early and quick success of the Kickstarter campaign? No, we definitely pursued the, the PR. We had, um, we had a talk with Emma who did final straw, um, which is a, a, also a, a product that is uh, getting rid of straws. It's a reusable straw. Yeah, we also featured them on the podcast. I don't think the episode's out yet, but yeah, excited to have you both uh, on this on the podcast. Oh, okay. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah. So, and she's she had a huge success because of her, but she's amazing and she's amazing with PR. Um, and she really had a lot of uh, she draw a lot of benefits from exa- from that angle, and uh, and we wanted to. We didn't get as big of a success with it, but it did help us a lot. Got it. Now, when when you are pitching PR uh, to to publications, especially for again a very sustainability focused company, what is the story that you find resonates the most with with the media in order to get your story picked up? I would say animals in the ocean getting well choking on or mm-hmm. um, dying from from all of this plastic debris. I think that is something that everybody can resonate with and it's it's so simple and it's inhumane and it, it's just pointing at a lot of um, I think very deep feelings in people. Right. So when you when you are creating messaging and marketing for a sustainability focused customer, do they care about the same things or are there different kinds of marketing messages that seem to reach again a sustainability focused customer better? It's so different. And it's also what kind of group you kind of uh, want to get into. I would say the real hardcore uh, sustainable um, target group is they want to have facts. They want to figure out like, where is this produced? How is this better? Um, Why are you uh, trying to sell me this? And like, they're very hardcore uh, where I think a larger group, which is more, uh, more just, you know, they, they want to be part of, of doing something good. They are more aimed at maybe a squid with a Q-tip um, wrapped around it, where you can also, we're also digging into a huge group of people, uh, even huger. I think it's 90% of, um, but they are more in that they want something that's nice and something that's maybe fashionable and and something that they're going to use. So I think you have like kind of have degrees on how sustainable you are and how also, you know, how easy this product also has to be to use. Um, and, and this is also why we did a lot of different colors. We wanted really to have this become something personal, become something that you want to carry with you and that it's, it can kind of mark who you are, but it's also just a really convenient and nice object. Right, because and because your marketing needs to be so different at these in these different uh, customer groups, and like you're saying, the people that are very much into this, like uh, on the extre- I guess more extreme end, you don't you don't 
you don't only have to change your marketing, but you almost potentially have to change your supply chain and your product just to address these concerns that, you know, valid concerns that they have. Is it then the question I think that comes up for a lot of people is, is it worth addressing a certain target market more than others, especially if the mass market could potentially be easier to convince, I guess, to make a purchase and it's obviously a larger market. Like, How do you know where or when to target uh, the customer basis? I think it's very different. Um, I think there are some things that make sense. There's some things that there's some visions that you have for your company and your product and what you want to do with it. So I think that this is just, this should just be the, um, like kind of the backbone of what you are and what you stand for and what your product then stands for. So there are some things. So for example, um, our product is made of, of plastic. The box is a corn based plastic, but this is something that a lot of eco people would not. They're like, why is it not bamboo? Why is it not this and this? So in that sense, it's just it's very different to to target somebody if they if they think that your product should be different. And that's where I think that you should just kind of have a vision and know what you do and and have the right. I know why it is more sustainable in plastic than in bamboo, because bamboo is not something that we could make it in. Uh, it's not something that would be sanitary or sustainable in any way. But this is a hard story to tell. So I think that you have to tell your story in many ways and you have to figure out how you want to explain this and how in-depth you want to go with people. But uh, like bottom line, you've made some decisions and and your, your target or what you want to pursue with your product is up to you. So it just sounds like a very delicate like balancing act to determine like what is actually sustainable for your cause, but then also what's sustainable for you for the business, right? If you are trying to just make progress in this in this cause, it's probably better for you to exist as a as a company than to try to solve every single problem, but then potentially not be around anymore because you're so focused on on solving all of these little problems that you know might eat away at margins and all of a sudden you don't have a business anymore so i think that's something mm-hmm. important to keep in mind you know when you're trying to balance what you should focus on exactly mm-hmm. so after this kickstarter campaign what was next like, what did you guys focus your attention on after the campaign it had such a, a amazing success of again raising over seven hundred thousand u.s dollars we um after the kickstarter we moved directly to indiegogo um, which is also uh, similar to Kickstarter. So it's also a, a pre-order um, a platform. And uh, and we raised uh, more or less the same amount. And then we moved from there directly to a web shop. Interesting. So you move, you did a Kickstarter and then like you're talking about how soon after that ended did you move over to, to Indiegogo? Days. And this was obviously strategic from the very beginning, right? That you decide, okay, let's do the Kickstarter. And then once that ends, let's launch on Indiegogo. Exactly. Yes, because you can't go the other way. If you do an Indiegogo, uh, Kickstarter won't allow you to do a Kickstarter. So it's very, yeah. (laughs) 
Now, what was the so obviously there was a lot of uh, hype and attention because again of the success of the Kickstarter campaign, all the media coverage. How do you make sure that that carries on as you go over to Indiegogo? And obviously, it, it what what you did work because you, again you raised nearly the same amount of, or raised the same amount of money on Indiegogo. So how do you make sure you transition that kind of media buzz over? Well, um, well, you do uh, a link where you say, well, we're, we're now live on Indiegogo, but we're finished on this campaign. Um, so, and then we redirected we, the landing page that we were talking about in the beginning also changed throughout the month. So when we were on Kickstarter, there was a direct link to Kickstarter. And when we were on um, uh, Indiegogo, it was there. And then when we were on the website, that page was now a website. So everything, when you Google um, last, um, well, <laughs> when you Google last swap, you'll come to our landing page that we had throughout the whole before campaign, after campaign. Got it. So you try to focus the the attention only to all, funnel basically into one direction rather than have all these different properties that are doing different things. You try to drive everyone to the similar, similar, I guess, uh, page or not similar, but the same page so that you don't have to worry about all of these different things that are going on in your, in your business. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so which, which leads me to something that you mentioned previously, which is that a lot of, you think you attribute to your, a lot of your success to also being able to create simple and effective structure and automated processes to, to help run the business. So talk to us about this. Like, what are some of the things that you've been able to simplify with the business? So in the beginning, we started to simplify um, everything about dropshipping. So we needed um, we needed to be able to supply this huge demand, but we also needed to make sure that it was eco-friendly and that it made sense. So we ended up doing uh, three different locations for dropshipping. So one in the U.S., one in uh, Europe, and one in China. And this is a system that is integrated directly into Shopify so that we could follow how much do we have in stock in the different warehouses, where is it low? Where is it high? And when we had a new shipment from our um, from our factories, then we could divide this over the three uh, drop shipping uh, just, agencies. Just, just to be super super clear, so when I think drop shipping to tell a lot of people out there listening. Uh, means something a little bit different than it sounds like what you're getting at. You're, you're talking mm-hmm. about these distribution centers that you have in these different um, cities or countries, and then you ship in bulk the products that you've manufactured to these places so that you can then ship from the distribution center to the, the, the local geography? Yes, exactly. Okay, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So, but you're, these, these are your products. You're not like – these are products that you guys are creating. You're not like sourcing them from different places. You are creating them in one manufacturer or maybe multiple, but then shipping them to centralized kind of locations in different parts of the world. Yes, Okay, exactly. cool. Just want to clarify that. All right, so um, th- that makes sense to simplify the the shipping. What, what are you know based on the, the entrepreneurs that maybe you've seen or spoken to? What are some things that you find that other entrepreneurs might overcomplicate that you think that they can try to simplify and make their their life you know easier? I think we have very early in the process um, found out or we have a a wish that we don't want to be a huge company with a lot of employees because we've been in a lot of companies with a lot of employees where everything gets just 
complicated. And from one to the other, it's just it, the the job. And of course, I understand that there is a lot of work in creating, um, well, a, creating a company in general. But I feel like um, by employing a lot of different people to tackle problems or just is, is not the way to simplify uh, a really lean company. So what we've done is that we work with a lot of different freelancers. And this takes, of course, a lot of time and dedication. But I think it's just a really amazing way for us to have control over everything that we're doing in the company. And we're, we're taking everything up through a funnel that my brother created, which is, you know, how do we have to do this? And then if it's yes or no, then, okay, can we get someone else to do it freelance based? Yes or no? Is it expensive? So it's like going through and, and it's like, it's the last resort is to actually hire somebody um, because it's a lot of work to have people on board and, and to make sure that, that you're being um, productive and, and you're actually, you know, creating what you want to create in a, in a sense in your company. So I think that, um, this is what has also challenged us a lot because we are only three people and we, we do have to be very aware of everything that's going on because it's, it's starting to really become a really huge company. Um, but we need to be able to delegate everything that we do, uh, to freelancers. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, I think like most entrepreneurs, again, you mentioned hiring is probably the last thing you want to do because there's a lot of overhead with that. And you might probably prefer, you know, solve problems with, with technology. So let's talk about the website a bit. What has been the most important site of, uh, part, sorry, important part or important page of the website in terms of uh, getting um, conversions for, for your, uh, getting conversions on your site? Well, I think that, of course, the front image is also, is always very important. Um what do you want to show and what is the most important thing you want to explain people? Um, and then we have in our new website built uh, in the shop in the page. So if you go in and you look at a swap, you can change through the colors, but you're still in the front page. So everything seems more seamless in a way. Um, so I think this was very important for our shop to have this built in. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you use a couple apps. One is a Shogun, which is used a lot for creating landing pages and different layouts. Talk to us about how you've used that for your 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 marketing or just driving traffic. Yes, we use that in the beginning. We actually just uh, deleted it. <laughs> We're not using it anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, but we did use it in the beginning, and it was a really good way of starting up uh, to get the different pages. I think the shop. Um, in it in itself uh, was just uh, it was too hard to get what we wanted so now we're using a theme so we could get everything built into kind of one pagers in a sense that makes sense now when this when this uh, episode goes live I see on the top navigation bar that you guys have another Kickstarter campaign coming up for last tissue so excited to see where that leads Um, but it sounds like you are looking for ways to expand the product line to tackle more single-use uh, problems. Now, how do you think about what product to focus on on next as you're expanding your catalog? Yes. Um, well, in the beginning, we had a, we did a whole list of things that we wanted to tackle, um, and we started up with the we started off with Last Swap, 
but last issue was always going to be the the second one. I think the next couple of where well, the next line of products will be tackling the bathroom because we feel like this is also where we've gotten into a lot of chains and a lot of bigger um, stores that are more focused focused to to the bathroom. So uh, so we're definitely tackling that area in the beginning. Awesome. So looking forward to if anyone that wants to follow along. The, the product we talked about is called Last Swab. Go to lastobject.com to see Last Swab and all the other new products that are coming out. Thank you so much for your time, Isabel. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.